When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the Lord required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that we can sit here today and listen to it freely. And we just welcome you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would anoint Anita as she speaks your word. We just ask that you have put the words in her heart to speak today. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and bring revelation where revelation is needed. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. I'm glad that you're, you're not soaking wet and you're here. You made it this morning. It's been a, a really rainy few days, and tis the season for boots and frizzy hair. (laughs) So, (laughs) tried to smooth it out, but it's still frizzy. (laughs) So, two weeks ago, um, Robin preached on the good news to the poor. And last week, Jason preached on good news without borders. 
And this week, I'm going to speak about the good news to the faithful. So I'm just going to jump right into the text, and so we can learn about what happens in this story in Luke 2, 21 to 40, um, that Linda just read for us. So there were three ceremonies that were needed to be observed after Jesus was born, according to the Jewish law. And verse 21 says that on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph had their son circumcised. The circumcision was the first ceremony that had to be observed. And this event probably took place in where they were living, not in the temple. And it was directed by Abraham's um, covenant with Jesus. And in Genesis 17, 9 to 12 says, in, in short, I condensed it. Then God said to Abraham, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. For the generations to come, every male among you uh, is who's eight days old must be circumcised. At the circumcision, they named him Jesus. And this was the name that the angel had given them back in Luke 1.31, when the angel said to Mary, and look, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus. The Hebrew form of the name Jesus is Jeshua, or Joshua in English, and it's derived um, by a combination of two root words, which are the Lord and to save. So Jesus means the Lord is salvation. So after the time of purification, which was 40 days after they took baby Jesus from Bethlehem to present him to the Lord in the temple of Jerusalem, it was about a 10-kilometer walk away. Um, this was a requirement of the law, which um, they Luke cites, and it says, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. This was the second ceremony that had to be observed. So in Exodus, and this is where it came from, in Exodus, during the final plague, which God brought upon Egypt, um, all the firstborn of Egypt were slain, but the firstborn of the Israelites, those who had applied the blood over their doorposts, um, they lived and so the redemption of the firstborn was required because they were spared by God, and so they belonged to him. So when an Israelite family dedicated their firstborn, they were acknowledging that this child belonged to God. So in Leviticus chapter 12, we're told that women were ceremonially unclean after the birth of a child. So if the child was a boy, then the woman was unclean for seven days, and she was not able to enter the sanctuary for another 33 days. And if the child was a girl, the time doubled. So the mother was unclean for 14 days and unable to enter the sanctuary for 66 days. So this means that Jesus would have been about six weeks old at the time of his dedication. And it was custom that the family was, was to offer a lamb as a sacrifice, but um, if you were poor, you could offer two doves or two pigeons instead. And the scripture says that they offered two doves or two pigeons, and this tells us that they were a poor family. And that's something that Robin touched on a few weeks, about, uh, weeks ago, about how they were, came from a poor family. And this was the third ceremony that was observed. So once they arrived at the temple, there was a man named Simeon. And we're told very little about him. 
We don't know what tribe he was from. We don't know anything about his family, whether he was married or had any children. We're told nothing about his occupation. Uh, It doesn't appear that he was a priest because he was directed by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. And if he was a priest, he would probably already be there. The only things that we're told about Simeon are things that actually really matter mostly to God and things about his faith and his character, things that tell us about his relationship with God. And we're told that Simeon was righteous and devout, which speak about his personal walk with God and his integrity with men. The word righteous in Greek is dikaios, which means one who observes and keeps the commands of God. If someone, it's someone who's innocent, who's faultless, guiltless, and approved or acceptable to God. The word devout in Greek is uh, luba, which means to take hold of well or carefully. So we, we actually learn that Simeon carefully took hold of the commands of God. And the scripture also says that uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And in, the, in that statement, there's an old Greek, Greek word used. This is a hard one for me. Prosdekomino, which is to admit to one's presence. And there's also another Greek word used here that's paraklison, which means the messianic hope. So in other words... Simeon was waiting for the presence of the messianic hope that would bring comfort to Israel that was spoken about in the book of Isaiah. So Luke 2 says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So Mary and Joseph arrived at the same time that Simeon was moved by the Spirit to go to the temple courts. So God brought their paths together at the same time. As soon as Simeon saw baby Jesus, he knew who he was, and he took him in his arms and praised God. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine um, seeing the promise before you and that he was able to hold the promise in his arms, the Messiah, the Savior of the world that he had been waiting for for years. Simeon must have been overjoyed to be able to hold him. And now he says, now I have seen your promise. And he told the Lord, you can dismiss me now because I have seen what God has been promising to me. The, The promise had been fulfilled. And he said, I'm ready to go. So then he proceeded to speak prophetically over baby Jesus. And he said, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon was a Gentile himself, so Luke was careful to emphasize the the truth that salvation was offered to Gentiles as well as to the Jews. All of this can only be revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit. And it said that Mary and Joseph were marveled by what they had heard about Jesus. I believe that they were marveled because they didn't fully understand at that time 
the, what these words actually meant. However, immediately after the de- declaration of Jesus being salvation, Simeon turns to Mary and tells her that this salvation won't come easy. Then Simeon blessed them and said, This child is destined to call, cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that thought, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Those are very strong words that were spoken. And up to this point in time, everything that had been said about Jesus were very positive. They were speaking in reference to him ruling on David's throne, setting up the right things which were wrong, bringing peace and salvation to all men. But now Simeon was unveiling the other side of the story, which is also the part of the Old Testament prophecies, such as in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, the prophecies of rejection, of crucifixion, and the death of the Messiah, and prophecies of his atonement. So what does Simeon mean by the causing of the rising, uh, the falling and rising of many in Israel? It means that Christ raises up those who believe in him, but he is a stumbling block to those who don't believe. Isaiah 8:14 says, and he will be a sanctuary, but for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. And then also in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 24, it says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Then Simeon proceeds to say, he will be a sign. And then Luke uh, 11.30, it says, for Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also the son of man to this generation. So as Jonah was a sign, he spent three days inside a huge fish, and Jesus would be buried for three days um, before his resurrection. Next, Simeon says that Jesus will be spoken against. The Greek word used here is actually a present passive participle, which means that it's a continuous action even to today. And we know this is true because Jesus is still spoken against by people even today. Then Simeon ends by saying, a sword will will pierce your own soul too. And This word too, T-O-O, indicates that Mary, as well as uh, Jesus, would suffer deep anguish. Simeon's words were preparing Mary for the grief that she was going to suffer. The rejection of her son by people would cause her to see her son die on the cross. And this would be a sword that would pierce her soul as a mother. Next, Mary and Joseph encounter a prophetess named Anna who came onto the scene, and she was also at the temple. It says that her, she was a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and Asher was the eighth son of Jacob and his first wife, Leah. The scripture says she was very old. She had lived with her husband for 84 years and 
um, sorry, she lived with her husband for seven years, and then she became a widow. And most translations indicate that Anna was 84 years old when um, she met Jesus at the temple, but it's also possible to be translated to mean that she had lived 84 years after her husband had died, and that would mean that Anna could have been about 104 years old if she had married at the age of 13, which did happen during that time. Either way, she spent the majority of her life um, without a husband and ministering in the temple. And instead of getting married as most widows would do at that age, she committed herself completely to the Lord. And she says she never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Herod's temple was huge, and there was a lot of different rooms Um, for various uses. So it's possible that she could have been allowed to live in one of the rooms at the temple, Um, but she could have just lived very close by. But she spent her waking hours attending and worshiping at the temple. She was evidently a very godly woman, a woman that was very aware of Israel's sins, a woman who was looking for the coming of the Messiah So when she saw Mary and Joseph, she went directly over to them, and immediately um, she knew who he was and that he would be significant to the world. And scripture says, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, meaning that the Jews in Israel were looking for a redeemer. They were looking for a savior for salvation. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to her the fact that baby Jesus was this Savior that everybody was waiting for. So what does it mean to be a faithful one? Jesus was was and is the most faithful one. Um, But Simeon and Anna were both very faithful to Jesus. And this was good news. Jesus was good news to them. So to be faithful means that you're dependable, trustworthy, and consistent. You stay the course. You keep moving forward, even during the seasons when you seem to have no encouragement and it feels like nothing's going right in your life. It means that you keep the faith, even though you're severely tried. You don't choose the path of less resistance. You're not moved by your feelings. You're not moved by your trials. You're not moved by popular opinion. In Acts 20, to 24, Paul, moved by the Spirit, said, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. The task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So there's a cost to those who are faithful, and but it, there's also good news, and there's promises that come to those who are faithful. And the word Advent means waiting. Simeon and Anna spent their lives waiting, anticipating Christ's arrival. And in the same way, we should live our lives anticipating the Christ, Christ's return to us again. And Jesus is a comfort 
to those who place their faith in his salvation, just as Simeon and Anna were an example of staying faithful to God, what God had told them, even though the world had lost hope. We must stay faithful to Christ who reconciled us to God and who, who he's given us a hope of a future with him in eternity. In Hebrew, the word for faithful is imun, which means trustworthiness. And it's actually the same root word that gives us the word amen. Uh, the faithful are steadfast, dedicated, dependable, worthy of trust. And the New Testament root word for faithful in Greek is actually faith. So God who's faithful keeps his covenant, and the faithful people keep his commandments. In 1 Corinthians 7.25, Paul said, commended himself to the Corinthians as one who's faithful or trustworthy. And in Revelation 2.10, the church in Smyrna and subsequent readers are commended to be faithful unto death. So, If being faithful is one who's trustworthy or one who has faith, that means we need to trust God more than anyone or anything else. And then we can understand why Abraham would go to the place that God told him to go, even though he didn't know where he was going. We could understand why Abraham, who was as good as dead, the Bible says, uh, had descendants as numerous as the stars. We can understand how Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, how Noah would build an ark even though he had never seen rain in his life, how Moses left Egypt and chose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin in Pharaoh's kingdom, how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would choose to walk into the fiery furnace rather than bow down to an idol. These ones were faithful even unto death. And that is why the Lord trusted them with his good news. So the most significant element in your Christian walk in your life is faithfulness to God. How can we be faithful to God? God's not looking for perfect people. None of those people that I listed to you just then were perfect. He's simply searching for those who will be devoted to him, regardless of persecution, regardless of intimidation, regardless of what we see in the natural. He is looking for those who will be obedient even unto death. So Revelation twelve eleven says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. Jesus is good news to the faithful. He is truth. He is life. He is love. He is our Savior. And he has paid the ultimate sacrifice for each and every one of us with his own life. So this Christmas, I pray that Jesus would be good news to you too. So I'll just pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for every person that is in this room I thank you for their lives, that you have paid the ultimate price for each one here. You knew each one even before they were born. You knit them together in their mother's womb, and you have great and awesome plans for each person here. Lord, I pray that as we go through this Christmas season, that we would 
be expectant and reminded to be waiting for your return, that we would live our lives according to that, giving ourselves completely over to you and devoted to you, God, that we would be faithful to you even unto death. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each heart that as they just even meditate on what you have done for us, that we would have a a real revelation from you to remember all that you have done and who you are and what you are to the world, your salvation, life, love, and hope. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.